Section 79 of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Story, Volume 10. England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 79. How Flora MacDonald Saved Prince Charlie, 1745, by Charles Sanford Terry. The moment was instinct with the need of action prompt and decisive. O'Neill bluntly formulated his plan that Flora should somehow convey the prince to her mother's home in Skye. The scheme was hazardous, but Flora thought rather of the suspicion which would fall upon her chief, Sir Alexander MacDonald, then attending Cumberland. O'Neill persisted, and dwelt upon the honour and immortality that would redound to her. Charles also assured her of his undying gratitude, and at length the brave girl consented. They parted in the early morning, she to Nunton, Clan Ranald's home, to make preparations, Charles and O'Neill, to their old haunt in Corridale. In what imminent danger her prince stood was apparent to Flora from an incident on her way to Nunton. She and her attendant, Neil McCuckin, had not proceeded far when they were challenged by a party of militia, and having no passport, were detained in custody. By good fortune, her stepfather was captain of the company, and when he arrived next day, June 22nd, she told him the dangerous scheme to which she had committed herself. Details of it had no doubt been discussed already near Milton. Charles was to go under the disguise of Betty Burke. In one of his narratives, O'Neill seems to suggest that it was Charles's own idea, and Betty, a good spinster, was to accompany Flora to Armadale, where Mrs. MacDonald had much lint to spin. The scheme was a bold one, but plausible. Passports, however, were needed and Flora begged her stepfather to grant them. He complied readily, for at heart he was a Jacobite, and set her at liberty. So with passports for herself, Betty Burke and Neil McCuckin, and a letter from Captain MacDonald to his wife, recommending the virtues of that paragon amongst minsters, Betty Burke, Flora continued her journey to Nunton. Meanwhile, Charles and O'Neill had reached the shelter of Corridale, on the 22nd, they received a message from Flora that all was well. Neil, no doubt, was the bearer, and he would report the good news of the passports. But the hours passed, and no signal came from Flora. Charles became irritable and anxious, as Neil has left on record. O'Neill even declares that he had made up his mind to surrender, that his buoyant nature should have bowed before a position seemingly hopeless may be forgiven him. Action was the blood of him, suspense a weariness. For a moment the scheme agreed upon was in danger of breaking down entirely. An alternative, that Hugh MacDonald of Balcher should pilot the prince northward, was proposed from Nunton and abandoned. Betty Burke perforce donned her petticoats. On the 23rd, Neil managed to transport Charles and O'Neill to Weag. Next day found them on Bembecula, scouting cautiously towards Rossinish, the rendezvous. 
They reached it at midnight. Three more days of heart-eating anxiety passed slowly. At length, all was ready. And on the 27th, Flora, Lady Clanranald, and a Mrs. MacDonald, escorted by O'Neill, proceeded to Rossinish. They found Charles, the prey of myriad midges, in a tiny hut cooking his dinner, the heart, liver, kidneys, etc., of a bullock or sheep, upon a wooden spit. The fare was not regal, but with Flora on his right hand and Lady Clanranald on his left, all dined very heartily. Dinner ended, there was some jocose drollery regarding Betty Burke and her clothing. Lady Clanranald begged Charles to try on his unaccustomed gear, and with some tears for the occasion, dressed him in his new habit, a coarse calico gown, quilted petticoat of light colour, a dun-coloured woollen cloak, with a hood made, Irish fashion, to cover the lang, odd hussy's boyish face and bristly chin. A note of warning broke up the feast. Captain John Ferguson and an advanced section of Campbell's men were already at Nunton. The party scattered, Lady Clanranald to Nunton to explain her absence, the rest to Loch Uskavach. Fresh alarms disturbed them there. Very wet and wearied, they had made a fire upon a rock to warm them until nightfall. But the blaze was observed, and soon four armed wherries were making for the shore. Extinguishing the fire, Charles and his party made for the heather, and lay concealed there until the evening. By eight o'clock, June 28, the coast was clear and the moment of departure at hand. O'Neill begged to be allowed to accompany his master. Flora refused. She had no pass for him, and objected that he knew no Gaelic, and had a foreign air likely to compromise them. Sadly, he saw them depart, for Flora, one gathers, took some of his heart with her. He was made prisoner soon after, and so remained until February 1747. It was a clear summer evening when Charles set sail from Loch Oskabach over the sea to Skye, but the fair promise was not fulfilled. About a league from shore the sea became rough, and the wind blew half a gale. With Ben Bacula and its dangers behind him, Charles seemed to be in good spirits, and watched over the sleeping Flora while he sang songs to hearten his crew. With the morning the sea grew calm, and the point of Vatanish rose before them. Their ubiquitous enemy was awaiting them. Three boats lay moored near the shore. A shot whistled over them, a summons to bring two. Bending to their oars, the boatmen drove their boat into a friendly creek. There they rested and breakfasted, and, no pursuer being in sight, brought their charge in safety to Kilbride. The first stage of the adventure was over, but other help was needed for its accomplishment. Not far northward of Kilbride lay Monkstadt, or Muxtot, Lady Margaret MacDonald's home. Thither Flora went with Neil, leaving Charles upon the shore. Her arrival was sadly mistimed. The militia were not far distant, and their commander, Lieutenant MacLeod, was in the house. 
Leaving Flora to hold him in conversation, Lady Margaret left the room. Her husband was with Cumberland, somewhat under suspicion already, and Cumberland's elusive quarry was on the threshold of her house. The situation was unnerving. By good fortune, her husband's factor, MacDonald of Kingsburg, happened to be with her. Captain Donald Roy MacDonald also came at a hasty summons. Walking to and fro in the garden, under the eye of the unsuspecting lieutenant, they concocted their plan. Charles must be smuggled to Rathsa. Kingsborough undertook to see him to Portree, and Donald Roy went off to find young MacLeod of Rathsa and to procure a boat. That arranged, Lady Margaret returned to her visitors. The comedy was not yet played out. She pressed Flora to stay with her. She had so often promised herself, and so forth. Flora, ignorant of the garden plot, declined. The troublesome times called her to her mother at Armadale, and she must travel thither without delay. So after dinner she went, and with her, Neil, Mrs. John MacDonald of Kirkibost, and her maid, an embarrassing addition to the party. Meanwhile, Charles had been told of the new plan for his safety. Kingsborough had sent a message by Neil bidding him conduct the prince to a hill on the road at the back of Monkstad. Kingsborough joined him there later and brought refreshment, a little wine and a few biscuits. An hour before sunset they started, taking the road towards Kingsborough's house. Flora and her companions came up soon afterwards. Stalking along the road, Betty Burke presented a strange figure. Mrs. MacDonald's maid observed her with some contempt. Never had she seen, she declared, such an impudent-looked woman, and how awkwardly she managed her skirts. Flora was in an agony of fear, and hastily drew her companion and her inquisitive maid to the front. Soon they left her, and trudging on through the rain and darkness, midnight brought the fugitive to the shelter of Kingsbury's home. Mrs. MacDonald was already in her robe de nuit when a message from Kingsbury told her that Milton's daughter was her guest. "'Give my service to her,' she answered from her room." and tell her to make free with anything in the house, for I am very sleepy and cannot see her this night. Soon her daughter, wide-eyed and wondering, burst in upon her. Mother, she panted, father has brought in a very odd, muggle, ill-shaken-up wife as ever I saw. I never saw the like of her, and he has gone into the hall with her. On the heels of his daughter came Kingsbury himself, clamouring for supper. "'Pray, good man,' said his wife, "'what company is this you have brought with you?' "'That you shall know in good time,' answered Kingsbury. "'Only make haste and get some supper.' Mrs. MacDonald, suspicious but compliant, sent her daughter to the hall for her keys. But the muckle woman was striding up and down the hall in a manner terrifying to behold. The girl saw her and fled. Presently Mrs. MacDonald appeared. As she told Bishop Forbes in after days, 
I saw such an odd muggle trollop of a carlin making lang-wide steps through the hall that I could not like her appearance at all. "'What a lang-odd hussy is this!' she whispered to Kingsbury at side. He would not satisfy her curiosity, and demanded supper. Charles, in fact, betrayed himself. As she returned to the hall from her larder, he came forward and saluted his hostess with a bristly kiss. At once she divined half the mystery. The Lang Hussy was a man in disguise. "'My dear,' said Kingsborough, "'it is the Prince. Fear for her good man and their home, and anxiety over the meagerness of her larder, tore her equally. But she refused to sit down with royalty.' I know not how to behave before majesty, she objected. Again Kingsbury reassured her, and at length, the comic prelude over, all fell to to supper. No need had Mrs. MacDonald to apologise for her fare. Betty Burke ate heartily. Roasted eggs, collops, bread and butter, and a comprehensive etc., lingered in Mrs. MacDonald's memory as the successive causes of that memorable repast. As to drink, the dealer drap that he want in swim of twa bottles of small beer, she recalled. God do him good, old, she added piously, for well I wot he had my blessing to gay down wit. After supper, Charles called for brandy and pledged his host and hostess. Then he asked for tobacco, taking a broken pipe from his pouch. Kingsbury found a clean pipe and tobacco to fill it. The hour was towards daylight when they went to bed. Meanwhile, at Portree, Roy MacDonald had been making arrangements for the voyage to Rasa. The day was far advanced when Charles and his party marched thither. He left Kingsbury's house in his female gear, but with the resolution to abandon it at the first opportunity. The disguise, in fact, rather drew attention to its wearer than screened him from it, for, as Kingsbury remarked, Charles' feminine airs were also manlike. In a wood not far from Kingsbury, Betty Burke shed her bucklings. At Portree, Roy MacDonald, young Rasa, and Captain Malcolm MacLeod were waiting for the prince at the inn. He was wet to the skin when he arrived, having on a plaid without breeches, trues, or even filibeck. Roy MacDonald offered his kilt. Then he fell heartily to the meat, and after his meal called for tobacco, quarter of a pound at fourpence halfpenny, and smoked a pipe before his departure. The moment of farewell had come. Charles bade good-bye to Kingsborough and Neil McCuggan. Then, turning to Flora, he said, For all that has happened, I hope, madam, we shall meet in St. James's yet. So he and his new guardians made their way to the boat. At his belt on one side, he carried a bottle of Portree whiskey. On the other, a bottle of Kingsbury's brandy and four shirts. In a napkin, he took with him a cold hen, also from Kingsbury's larder. In his pocket was a lump of sugar. On his way to the boat, he took the sugar from his pocket and gave it to Roy MacDonald, 
for Flora. For I am afraid, he said, she will get no sugar where she is going. Our lady, he called her. Roy handed the sugar to Malcolm MacLeod, for the prince's need was likely to be greater than Flora's, though he was to win through to freedom and she to captivity. His last thought was of Flora. Tell nobody, no, not our lady, which way I am gone, he directed Roy MacDonald. At the dawning of the day, July the 1st, he sailed from Skye. Flora MacDonald was arrested and kept as a prisoner for several months, but was then set free under the Indemnity Act of 1747. In 1774, she and her husband came to North Carolina, but returned to Scotland at the time of the American Revolution. The Editor End of Section 79 this recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jane Bennett.